You're listening to the Rise and Love podcast, where we believe that you get to have love and success in all areas of your life. Your host, Crystal Iram, will help you understand yourself, your relationships, and what's keeping you from having the love, relationship, and life you really want. Week after week, you'll have your mind blown as you learn from experts and listen in on honest conversations to experience mindset shifts and get practical instruction on how to use your mind to support you in getting everything you desire. We'll get to the heart of the matter when it comes to designing and elevating all aspects of love and life. Here's your host, educator, relationship coach, and lawyer, Crystal Iram. Before I get into this week's podcast, I wanted to just let you know about a really incredible brand new free resource that I have for you. It is a free masterclass training. It's about 90 minutes long and it is seriously so freaking good. It is called How I Went From Single to Engaged in a Year with the Four-Step Magnetism Formula. So I share my story of how I went from single to engaged in less than a year using the four-step magnetism formula. So I am breaking down my magnetism formula. I also am sharing the three biggest mistakes that I am currently seeing smart, successful women making when it comes to love. These are the three mistakes that I was making and that really held me back and that I see holding a lot of other amazing women back from the love that they want. And then I'm sharing a bit about my signature manifesting formula. So there's four steps and I share a bit about each so that you can really start implementing this. This class is really awesome and you can join. The link will be right there in the show notes, but you can also join by going to magnetismformula.com and signing up there. I know that you're going to love it. It is one of my favorite trainings that I have created and yeah. It's going to be great. The other thing that I wanted to mention before I dive into the episode is that if you have not yet left a rating and review for the podcast on iTunes, please do so. It means everything to me. Also, as you are listening to the episode, go ahead and screenshot the episode that you're listening to and tag me over on Instagram at Crystal Eram. Let me know that you're listening in. When I hear from you that you're listening, that you're enjoying my content, It just makes me so happy. It's so motivating and inspiring for me. One of my love languages is words of affirmation. That is my number one. And so getting the positive feedback from you all just is, it's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me motivated and moving, you know, even when things in the world are a little crazy as they are right now. So yeah, do those things for me. I really appreciate it. And Enjoy the free masterclass training that you can get over at magnetismformula.com and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Rise and Love podcast. I am seriously so excited for this episode that I am sharing with you today. So we're doing something a little bit different today. I was interviewed on Giselle's podcast. Giselle is amazing. She is an astrologer and a human design reader. And she invited me onto her podcast, the Cosmic Laundry podcast, several weeks ago. And our conversation was seriously so much fun. I had the best time and I just felt like it was really insightful and interesting and There was sort of a different twist because Giselle is an astrologer, so she was really inserting some of her insights as well. And I just thought you all would love it. So I have decided to include that for this week's episode. So get comfortable and get excited because we went really hard. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. Enjoy. Okay. Yeah, so I've been following you for a while. I think like at least a year now. I don't remember how I found you, but one of the reasons that I really was drawn to the way that you teach about relationships is because your approach is both like spiritual and then also like grounded and practical. And there's like, you can tell that you have an understanding of like attachment and trauma and the subconscious mind and all of these other different things. And it's not just this like, woo-woo thing that we can't make real life, <laughs> you know? Right. So I was totally. really drawn to you with that. And then when you started talking about like the Royals and, and like love is blind and doing more of that, like social commentary, I was like, yeah, this is totally my girl. <laughs> oh, do it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So I just did the, um, the love blueprint quiz. 
I've done it a few times. I always get the same one. Okay. Always the romantic. Like I'm yeah. on for Charlotte. Always have yeah. And so I'm so curious about what the other types are and like how you created this system. And like, because this is obviously like your brainchild, your baby. Yeah. So great question. No one's ever asked me that before, actually. Hmm. I have... I have been obsessed with people and relationships and love and dating literally my entire life. So it was, it's from like many years of observation, honestly. And then when I started doing this work as a love coach, I was just noticing very similar things come up over and over again. Like the thing that I'll say about my quiz is like, I don't think that it's exhaustive per se, Mm -hmm. but I attract a type, like I attract a certain type of woman. So it's very, very rare. I can't tell you, I've gotten hundreds of emails from people being like, oh my God, this is so spot on because I like, I see, like I see my people, (laughs) I see the women that are in my world and I see the patterns that they have. So basically I was looking at the most common patterns that I observed And I was just taking notes. Like I basically just wrote them all out. I was like, what are all the things that I observe? And then I started putting them together because it's like one type of woman could have a relationship and one is like this. And then the next one is similar, but a little bit different. I was just like noticing the strings and I was able to just get it into four types that I saw. So you're a romantic. I'm also a romantic. Mm. Um, Our romantic set up for that. Oh, really? Yes, so I can't wait to talk about it. Sorry. I didn't That's so that. interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to hear your take on it. So romantic in my world is the most common type of the women that have, you know, that are in my world that have taken the assessment more than 50% are the romantic. So again, it's like, that's why I'm saying I know my people. I know the type of women that I attract. So that is the most common one that I get. We also have the giver. So the giver is very close to the romantic. They're like the closest type, the difference between the giver and the romantic would be like the woman who is doing, like she's acting. Like the way that I usually would say it to like a student is I'd be like, you're doing too much. Like (laughs) this is not your role in dating. You know, these are the women where, you know, it's not just that they're romantic and that they really want that true lasting love, but like they're putting in the work for it, you know? So it's like, they're the ones who take on the role of girlfriend too soon. And it's like, girl, you are not his girlfriend. You are not his mom. Like, why are you doing his dishes? you know, and it's just like, they show love through actions. And so often they like, will just do too much. They're giving too much of themselves too soon for someone who isn't at a place to warrant that. That's the other type that's extremely, extremely common in my world. But the good news for both the romantics and the givers is that for them to shift into like a healthy version. I don't really break down the difference between like a healthy and unhealthy version, but for most women, if you're not coupled up in the relationship you want, then you know that there's some tweaks to be made. Not to say that you're unhealthy per se, but like there are things you're going to want to do differently most likely. And so a lot of that is going to be about like upgrading on your like upgrading, upgrading your love blueprint, upgrading your beliefs about yourself. The other type that is also pretty common in my world. So I'm sort of doing them in the order of like how frequently I see them is the realist. Mm. So the realist is the woman where it's like her career has sort of come first. She wants love, but she's not getting caught up in mind games. She doesn't want to be swept off her feet. She's sort of like a Miranda where it's like she has to see it to believe it. This type, the only thing that sort of holds them back is sometimes they're too skeptical and they won't really believe in a good thing. And when it comes to manifesting, which is what I really focus on. Yeah. If you can't have that faith without seeing it, it's much harder to get what you want. Mm -hmm. So these are the women who sort of end up settling because they don't fully believe that they can have what they want. Like they're not willing to put their faith out or they end up like not accepting anyone because like no one reaches their standards and they struggle to find that like middle round of someone you can create that happy, healthy, loving, committed relationship with that like exists. You know, sometimes these women are also the type where it's like, this is not a human that exists. Like this is not how human men are. So when they're looking for things that just don't like when you're looking for qualities that don't coexist together um, is a thing that I see. And then the final type is the sensualist. The sensualist has some of the same qualities as the romantic because they really, really want that strong connection. They want that sort of earth shattering connection, but it's a little bit more about like a 
needing the sexual chemistry. And so they are the ones who are very likely to get caught up in like situationships or friend with benefits where it's like they want more, but they're only focusing on the chemistry. So they're not creating the dynamic with the right kind of person. Right. That's so interesting. I love, they kind of do line up with sex in the city. They totally line up with sex in the city. So (laughs) they totally line up with sex in the city. So, you know, there's a little bit crossover because honestly, Carrie and Charlotte in terms of their like love blueprints are not entirely far off. I'd say Carrie's patterns are much less healthy, but Charlotte also at the beginning has some things where it's like, girl, no, (laughs) you're looking at this the wrong way. But I would say that Carrie would be like the, yeah, they're both really romantics and givers. I don't remember if I had in mind specifically who was what. And then obviously Miranda's the realist and Samantha's the sensualist. And I think when we look at like someone like Samantha, it's really good because I love Samantha. I think she's great. And she comes across as very confident and certain, but she actually is extremely insecure. She's probably you know, she's definitely as insecure as the other women. And she has moments where she's just, she's insanely insecure when it comes to men. And so like her being the centralist is really more of a a wall than like who she's really being. Cause we see her like cop hard at the seams in like the couple of times where she actually likes someone and it's messy. Like she could be a mess. So yeah, it's a massive defense mechanism, right? Exactly. That's so interesting. Do you find that most women will fit into one category? Or do women change their love blueprint as they age or in different phases? Or is this like more so rooted in attachment and therefore not changing? I haven't seen people change much Mm -hmm. um, because like I said, there's sort of like a healthy version and an unhealthy version. So it's like you could always be a romantic and still have like an appropriate attach, like have the attachment style that's going to get you the relationship you want. Like I'm still romantic, even though I'm now in a happy, healthy, loving relationship. Whereas in the past, I wasn't. I I was a romantic and I was romanticizing these really messed up relationships that were not serving me or making me happy. So is the romantic the type that's that's the most likely to fall into fantasy and like projecting this ideal partner onto people? Is that like, can we go yeah. through what the high road and the low road would look like of each of them? Uh, yeah, we could. So the romantic would be the one where it's like, yeah, definitely sort of idealizing things. The romantic is the type where it's like she is also likely to hold on to a relationship when it's past its expiration date. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's likely to hear, you know, I don't want a relationship. And instead of saying, oh, this man doesn't want the same thing I want. She's like, well, if I stick around long enough, he's going to change his mind. Yeah. You know, once he knows me better, he's going to love me. Like if I just show him how amazing I am, well, no. And see then once you get into like, let me show him how amazing I am. That's sort of the same scenario, but that's more like the giver. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. But a healthy romantic is someone who's like, yes, I want that amazing, deep, powerful, loving relationship. And if someone doesn't want what I want, like that doesn't make them bad. That doesn't make me bad or unworthy. It just means I have to keep it moving. And so that's what I'm going to do. And oh, look, now there's this wonderful man who has all these qualities that I want. And we can have this deep, beautiful, loving relationship. And here I am happily married. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Like, you're still romantic. You can still want romance. You can still want true love. I'm not, like, advocating, like, oh, no, you can't have love. <laughs> like, totally. You have to have, like, dullness. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I have an insanely fun time with my partner. So the giver would be the woman who's just doing too much, you know? So that's the unhealthy version is like, she's getting really attached to men where it's like, he has not shown that he is ready for a commitment from you with you. And here you are, you know, sort of planning your future in a way that the romantic would, but also like, let me show you what a great wife I'm going to be. You know, if you've ever had that thought where you're like, I'm going to cook him dinner just to like show him how much I care, but it's like, he hasn't shown you how much he cares. Mm -hmm. So that's the unhealthy version. It's not that the actions are wrong. It's that they're not at the right time in the relationship. So the healthy version of the giver is someone who just, their love language is, you know, acts Mm -hmm. and they're showing those acts towards someone who returns the feelings towards someone who also cares for them and like wants to show up for them. So it's not like, oh no, never do another nice thing for your man. It's just, you do it at the right time. You know, one of the things that I always say to my students is like, when you're dating, your job is to show up, look good and smell good. 
Like that's all you have to do. Show up, look good and smell good. So if you're on a third date and you're like, he's taking me out for two dinners. So I'm going to bring him over to my house and I'm going to put on a sexy outfit. And then I'm making this four course meal and then I'm dessert. And just like, no girl, like you need to just show up, look good, smell good. Let him keep taking you out. This is what givers don't understand is that like men who are in love, they want to show up for their woman. Like men love putting in the effort for a woman that they care about. Like he's like, oh, how can I be a knight in shining armor for her? And when you're doing everything, it's like you're you're squashing his dreams. You're like eliminating all opportunity for him to come in and be that romantic hero for you. Yeah. And if you're with a man that doesn't want to do any of those things, then like it could be that that's not how he shows love. But what I usually see is that even a guy where it's like, he's not going to do the big gestures because it's not about big gestures, right? It's just about a man having to make an effort. You know, even if it's just calling a restaurant and making a reservation, like he has a phone, he's capable of doing that, but not if you've already done the work. And so it's just about like giving men the space, giving men the space to show up for you, to show that they care for you, to like show that they want to be with you. And men do not fall in love with women they don't have to make an effort for. And a man will chase you. And I don't, I'm not talking about like a creepy stalker who you're like, no, I said no. And he's like, that's not healthy. That's not what we want. But like a man who's serious will absolutely pursue you. He will call you. He will text you. He will let you know that he wants to see you. Yeah. He will show up for you. He'll show up. With the sensualist, it's like, again, you can still have that passionate relationship. It's about not sacrificing the things like someone who wants to show up for you, someone who's trustworthy, someone who's open to committing to you. So if you're a sensualist and you find that you keep just getting caught up with guys where you just have chemistry and he's missing things like kindness and consistency and wanting the same form of relationship, form being you know a committed relationship or a live-in partner or a marriage or whatever it is, you know, so some people are always just going to have super sexually charged relationships. That's fine. It's about getting to the point where you're choosing those relationships with partners who are well aligned with everything you want. And with the realist, it's just like relaxing enough so that you don't have to have any, everything under control, that you are open to falling in love. You know, you cannot fall in love if you're not willing to be vulnerable. And so that would be the thing that a realist might come up against is like, they're guarded. Their walls are high. They just like are, I'm not even sure if I believe in love. Maybe I don't even get love. And so it's like releasing some of that so that like a man can feel your energy. Right. Yeah. It sounds like the realist is more in like masculine mode, right? Yeah. Very like well-developed in the masculine world and has to do more work to connect back to their heart, their emotions, their energy, just like that beingness. A hundred percent. And you know, the reason that I, I, it's like, I see this a lot because I, a lot of women are, we're operating in our masculine. Like we have jobs. Many of us have jobs we're passionate about, or we're running businesses and you operate in your masculine when you're working. And it's, it's fairly not, I don't know if I should say it's rare, but yeah, it's fairly rare to find a woman who operates in her work life, not in her masculine. And you don't meet that many women who are single, who don't work or go to school or anything. School is the same sort of thing. It's like when you're studying and working. And so it's not about like not having a well, like I definitely have a strong masculine side. Like I have a business, I have lots of opinions. So it's not about like, oh, if you have a masculine side, you're never going to be with like a masculine man. No, it's just about understanding how to connect with that other side of you as well. If you want a masculine partner, there's also men who are very much in their feminine and they're wonderful partners. And it's like sort of being like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Like I want someone who's just going to be like sweet and loving towards me and like be that softer feminine part in the relationship. Yeah. So it's about figuring out which, like if we're talking in terms of polarity, right? Like which pole you want to be at and then yeah. learning how to be in that. Right. Cause I think exactly. that of, I see a lot of women in my practice because I work as an astrologer, but also I'm a therapist. Right. And oh, okay. 
yeah, my primary focus is actually relationships. And so one of the things that I see a lot with women that would be more in the realist or like Miranda kind of mode is this, like it's this shell, but really they want to be able to be soft and feminine and, and to be able to let their guards down with their partners. Whereas For sure. some women that just really want to be in that masculine mode and that's fine. So it's like really figuring out who yeah. you are at your core and what type of relationship supports you. Totally. And I think the big mistake that women make around this is like, especially the ones that are very in their masculine, very accomplished, high achieving women is they'll be like, well, I just need a man who's strong enough, you know, to break down my walls. And it's like, I hear you, but they don't want that. Like masculine men are not trying to like beat out the masculine in you to get to the feminine part of you. Like if that's how you're approaching men, like it's just not a turn on, you know, they'll be like, Oh, men are intimidated. And I'm like, they're not intimidated. They just aren't excited. They're not compelled. (laughs) It's not fun for them. Totally. Yeah. And it's so like, we could get into the whole, like why the feminine has been diminished and why people don't, you know, honor the feminine in the way that maybe we did many, many, many years ago, right? It's like, there's so many different layers to this, but I love that there are more and more relationship coaches like you that are teaching more of like the energetic principles. I love that you talk about reality trend surfing and like the pendulum (laughs) and like jumping timelines. Like I was like, this is totally my girl because it's, yeah, you've got that that spiritual component that you add in as well. And I always find that so fascinating. I learned so much from you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely a seeker. Like I, I liked it. It was amazing for me to find this as like a path because I love reading. I love learning things. And so for me to be able to just like pass on these things that I hear and it's like, I do have these different sides because, you know, one of the things that I get a lot of flack for is that I am very direct and I'm have a very no nonsense approach. And so it's like, yeah, I love these spiritual concepts. And like my work is serving women to help them find love. Like I love women. My, 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 like my deepest desire is that like all women have the loving relationships that they want, but like I am direct and I sort of shoot straight and I get mean comments and messages and pushback all the time. And, you know, Maybe there's something in my chart about it, but it's, it can be very like disheartening for me because I'm just like, sometimes it makes me feel very misunderstood because I'm just like, no, but I just want to help. <laughs> I'm just going to help. But also it's been a whole thing for me to get to a point where it's like, I can get behind who I am. And like, I don't need my expression police. Like I may not be for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's like, I get a lot of pushback and sometimes it's really like, I take it to heart. But the thing that my clients and students always say, I had a couple of um, testimonial calls the other week. I did like a few back to back and every single one of them was, you know, when I was like, what drew you to me? And they're just like, I love your tough love approach. Like I just really needed that because like I, nothing else would get through to me. Like I needed someone who was just going to be like straight with me. Like, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you need to do differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially cause like, especially in my private coaching practice, I work with very high achieving women, you know, often millionaires and CEOs and doctors and lawyers and things like that. And then I have courses that, you know, support all sorts of different types of women. But like with my private clients, a lot of times they don't even have anyone in their life who like, says anything, you know, they have a lot of yes people around them. So no one to be like, you're doing this thing that's really sabotaging you. (laughs) It's important. Like you don't, you don't want to pay someone money for them to just be a yes person and tell you what you want to hear. You're not going to get the transformation and growth that you want. And I'd imagine those people that send you hate mail, hate mail are people that never would have invested in the work with you anyway. Totally. But totally. it, it's hard. It's really hard, especially when you put yourself online and you develop this like online business and this public persona. It does open you up to all of these different like do you get hate mail through like Instagram and email and like the whole thing? Do you get it all, all the time? time. Oh Everywhere. God. I've gotten it on Facebook, on Instagram, in my email. You know, and it's like sometimes, you know, you just ignore it and move on. And obviously there's things that come up that are triggering. And I think, you know, it's like the same thing happens in dating though. Like you can get feedback from a guy and it's like, 
am I going to let this mean something about me? Or like you start to really like someone and all of a sudden he disappears. And it's like, well, what does this mean about me? And I think it's really the same sort of thing where it's like, I have to decide, like, am I going to make this something mean something about me? Am I going to decide that this person knows my heart or like knows who I am or knows my worth more than I do? And it's the same thing with dating, you know, because what I see a lot with women is that they get really defeated when something doesn't go their way. You know, they have a setback and it just like hurts so badly. And they take that as the ultimate truth over what they already know about themselves. Like, you know, that like you're this wonderful, beautiful, interesting, compelling human. And like some guy ghosted you and you're wondering if you're ever going to get love. I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not how it works. Like he doesn't know anything about you. You know you. So I have to like remind myself of that same thing when I'm getting very sensitive or hurt by something someone's saying about me. Yeah. Just remembering that nobody knows you better than you, right? Like you are the expert and the CEO of your own life. I think that's a really important perspective with, I love how you like can tie that back into dating too, because you're right. It is the same thing. Essentially it comes back to having an inner sense of worthiness that, you know, where you can take feedback and, and you can maybe listen and open your mind, but allowing yourself to just be rooted in who you know you are really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first experience with something like that in relationship, I would have been like 17. And the guy that I was dating at the time, we were in a fight and he called me selfish. And I remember that being the moment where Uh, I was like, oh, this is not my guy. Like, I'm not, how do you think that about me? I am so far away from that. Right. And I definitely did some thinking about like, am I selfish? Was I being selfish? And I was like, no not happening, like definitely not who I am. But it it is really sad and disheartening how many women, especially, but I think men too, will take some of those comments to heart and really start to adopt them of like, oh, maybe I am selfish in relationship, or maybe I do do this thing weird that I need to change. Whereas, as you know, I'm sure with the work that you do with people, it's more about becoming more yourself in the healthiest expression of it, right? So I think that's a really good example. I think that's a very solid example because, you know, when someone says something to us and we feel it, when there's like a charge around it, often it's because on some level we have a fear or like we're believing that that's true. Yeah. So whether it's true or not is sort of irrelevant almost because you can release that charge not by like proving that it's untrue, but by like either accepting it or like just fully releasing it. Yeah. You know, so it's like, there's certain things that a lot of women will hear, things like selfish or bratty or demanding or high maintenance, where, you know, I, I'm saying that as if those are universal. Those aren't universal. Those are mine. <laughs> I'm, use mine. I'm using myself as an example. But we all have things like that. We all have those words where it's like if someone uses that, it's like it sort of stops you in, the, in your tracks because you're like, well, that's not true. That's not who I am. And it's like, is that who you are? No, not as a central part, but like, are you selfish? Maybe sometimes. And, you know, part of the work is also just like when you can accept that aspect of yourself, it doesn't hurt so bad when someone else calls it out. It's like we have these parts of ourselves that we disown. You know, people refer to this as like your shadow where, you know, and it's like that is part of you. You know, for me, it's like one of mine, and this is one that's like still very present, you know, the high maintenance demanding, those were ones that were very present in my dating life. And it really would hurt me when a man was saying that. So I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm so easy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just hurt my feelings. I didn't want to be demanding. I wanted to be like, I wanted to be sweet and I wanted to be a cool girlfriend and like easy. And when I got over that and I was just like, yeah, I am. And this is not up to my standards. The charge went away and I never heard those words again. Like I never heard those words again, you know? And so it's like one that, and it, it, you know, they evolve, they change. Cause it's like, I release the charge around that. I never hear that anymore. I still have this thing around being a bitch or like being mean, you know? So it's like, if someone says like, oh, that was really mean. I'm just like, oh gosh, I don't want to be mean. But it's like, yeah. And it's just like, part of me needs to just be like, Crystal has a bitchy side. It's okay. Like it's still coming from love. It doesn't mean that's who I am overall. You know, and I had this friend who was like, she's, she's brilliant and she's hilarious and she's just so wise about things. And she's like, just be a bitch. Like just own it. Like it's fine. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and then it's like, I was watching like the devil wears Prada with Miranda, you know, Miranda Priestly. Yes. And she's such a perfect example because I'm like, she is so bad. Like everybody loves her. Like she's amazing. Right. And she's such a bitch. So I'm like, I'm trying to like, but it's hard. It's very hard. We get a lot of conditioning around like being a certain way. Right. But I'm just like, I need to like channel my inner Miranda Priestly and just like be fine with being just like a cold, hard bitch sometimes. I'm like giving it to people straight, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's like, I'm still working on that. That is still a shadow aspect that I have not fully integrated and it triggers me. It, I get caught up in it. So the way that this shows up in your dating life is like the same thing. The thing that you're worried about, you're, you're going to find that guys keep bringing it up to you. You know, if you're stressed out that you're high maintenance or you're lazy or you take too long to get ready or whatever it is, whatever part of yourself that like you're not cool with, you're going to feel like it keeps getting thrown back in your face. But it's like, again, it's not about getting all the guys to stop saying the thing that hurts your feelings. It's about integrating and accepting all those parts of you. Because once you do, it's like, it can just be a small part of you and it's not such a big deal anymore. Yeah. You don't do so much work trying to hide it. And therefore in the trying to hide it, you you know, overdue. Like, so I know for me with, with the shadow aspect of like the selfishness, very similar to you, like do, did not want to be called a bitch, did not want to be called. I wanted to be the cool girl. Right. Yeah. And right. in doing that, I would like go over into being like more of a doormat. Right. Because I wouldn't, yes. myself. I wouldn't like assert myself or speak up for my needs because I didn't want to be a bitch or be selfish or be demanding. Right. And that's totally. like, where I was like, nope, straight up owning it. I'm a capital B bitch and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but okay, this is, I really, we need to get into the astrology of this right now. Because Please, I'm ready. So all of the things that you were talking about, you know how I mentioned earlier when we were talking that there's some parts of our chart that are, are similar and then obviously some parts that are really different because there's so much to it. But okay, yeah. So you've had your chart read before, yes. Once. Well, you broke up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I had my chart read. Um, I had a chart reading. Yeah, years ago, actually. Do you want to hear about it? <laughs> I do. Tell me about it. So I knew like the basics of my chart. Like I know my sun, my moon, my rising, and like general ideas about like the personality aspects but I had this chart reading and this shouldn't be hard to guess I had this chart reading during the year of the man (laughs) and I always refer to the year that I was like very focused on manifesting the love of my life the year of the man and so I love that I um I had an intuitive hit I was living in Los Angeles at the time very happily and I had an intuitive hit to move to New York and I was like kind of scared and reluctant, but I was sort of trying to just like follow the pings that I was getting. So I get this chart reading and I wanted to ask, I was like, I wanted to be like, where's my husband and is moving to New York the right thing for me? Mm-hmm. And so the man who read for me, he said a bunch of different things. We had like a 40 minute call, I think, and I really enjoyed it. But what I remembered was that he said, yes, definitely follow, like go to New York for sure. And he said that I would be meeting my person. Um, What he said to me was like, what I see for you is that like 2019, 2018, 2019, 2020, I see like a very happy marriage. This was in 2016. And I was like, what? I was like, three more years until I meet him? Like, how could this be? I was like, no, like that sounds horrible. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't say any of that. He was like, that's what I'm seeing. Like you very much like focused on a marriage, but I think you're going to meet him sooner. He was like, it actually looks like you could be meeting him this summer. I would guess between July and August. Mm-hmm. Even that, I think the reading was at the end of January or maybe early February. And that felt far off. I was just like, no, I'm ready for him to be here now. <laughs> like, I can't uh, wait yeah. Yeah. But he was right on. I met my husband August 25th of that year. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, we got married really quickly. We were married within less than a year. But knowing what I know now, it's like, no, what he said made perfect sense. 2018, 2019, 2020, being like focused on marriage. Not that our marriage wasn't happy, but like we met, we got engaged, we got married very quickly. So it was a whirlwind. It didn't feel like a whirlwind when we were in it, but looking back, and now it's like we're married and we're happy. And like my, my God, I'm going to cry. 
<laughs> my <laughs> my life is very much you know focused on this you know beautiful marriage that I've created so it. it did make sense it to me it made it sound like oh it's not going to happen until then whereas he was saying it would be more like in the center of my life more of like a theme yeah in those years and that is how it has turned out so yeah that's I liked my reading yeah. <laughs> had a good experience with it some people you know get some psychic trauma from like for example with someone saying like oh yeah you'll meet your husband in august and then it not happening and things like that right so I'm really glad that it worked out for you he sounds like a very skilled astrologer That's he great. is a very skilled astrologer he's great he also was he was quite positive and not that i think he was like sugarcoating everything but even a couple of things that he mentioned that did occur as he said they would the way that he presented them didn't make me feel fearful yeah but i will tell you Summer rolled around that year and it was June mm-hmm. and I was impatient. I was like, where is he? I moved to New York. I followed my pants. Like I want him immediately. Yeah. And I had a call with a psychic, not an astrologer. Mm-hmm. And this woman has like an amazing reputation. Like I spent a good amount of money and I was like on a wait list to get a call with her. Like mm-hmm. she has all these celeb clients and she'd been on the housewives. And so I had very high hopes. And she told me I was not going to meet my person for like years. Like, I think she told me like in my late thirties, I would meet someone. Yeah. And it was really disheartening. So I was just like, what? I've like been doing all the work that doesn't make sense. And she was just wrong. Like she was, she was wrong. And so, you know, this is what I always tell people. It's like, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Like if it does not serve you, it does not have to become your reality, you know, because everything, you know, I'm, I like astrology. I like learning these things, but it's like, everything is an interpretation. So you can go to a reader who interprets it in a way that someone else is going to interpret it totally differently. And if they're telling you something that's hurting you, that's making you feel defeated, that's making you just be like, I just give up, then like, let it go and keep it moving. Because ultimately, nothing and no one outside of you has power over you. Oh, yes. And reach. If you yeah. want something different, you get to do something different. So let's yeah. dive in. Tell me. <laughs> okay. So um, one of the first things I noticed with your chart is you yeah. have... Chiron, which is not a planet, it's an asteroid, but it's also as almost as big as Pluto. So it, it still has a really big impact in the birth chart. And Chiron in the chart is the wounded healer. So this is the part of us, the part of our psyche, where we have like a massive wound, whether you want to look at this from like an early attachment childhood perspective or a past life perspective, depending on how woo woo you like to get, doesn't really matter. It's the same thing. And this wound is often like, if we have the courage to go into it, to look at it, to sit with it, to work through it and to heal it, we become the healer for other people. And you have that on your descendant, which is the relationship access point. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. (laughs) Like, so you are meant to, and not everyone works through their Chiron and does the work and and begins to heal other people in that area because it takes a lot of um, courage to do that. But you literally like are set up for relationship counseling and matchmaking because of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm crying. I know. Isn't that wild? That is so amazing that that just like really touches me because I have I feel so much like I'm doing the work that I meant to do. And, you know, people say to me all the time, like, you know, obviously I get people who are like, I hate you. You're so mean. But I get a lot of people who are like, you were talking directly to me or they'll be like, you were in my mind. And I'm like, I know, bitch, I was you. (laughs) I've been there. Yes. I have been through all of it. Like, yeah. And I, I. Yeah. I'm just like, if I can get past my stuff, because I had all the stuff, I had all of the stuff, all of the patterns. And like to create such a happy marriage, like with just a man who I adore, who adores me, like he just treats me so well. I wouldn't have imagined that I could create this. And so that's very cool. So you're saying I have, you said Chiron on my descendant. Yes. Which is the relationship access. Yes. 
So that is the very beginning of the seventh house, which is the Libra house, which is connected to partnership and not just romantic partnership, but that's where we tend to play out that house in the most profound way. But it's also connected to like business partnership and all of those other types of things. But yeah, so that was the first thing that I noticed when I looked at your chart. I was just like, wow. And then having Gemini on the descendant as well. Like Gemini is the sign that's the most connected to wanting like a soulmate kind of connection or it's really that looking for your other half. So having that on the descendant also sometimes creates some issues. So I have that as well. I have a Sagittarius ascendant, Sagittarius rising, just like you, which automatically creates a Gemini descendant. Oh, Um, interesting. Yes. But I don't have like the Chiron stuff going on there. And so that was like the first thing that I I noticed and looked at. And and sometimes that can manifest in earlier years, like being attracted to wounded people and like wanting Mm. to miss them. Sometimes that Mm. thing, it can be like being really naive in relationship and not seeing things clearly. Um, But when you start to work through these things, it's like being incredibly gifted in the realm of relationship and matchmaking. Amazing. This is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And then you also have um, the sun in the fifth house in Taurus, which I'm sure you know a lot about what it means to be a Taurus sun, Um, but it's conjunct Mercury. So that's like the connection and it's an exact conjunction. So both the sun and Mercury were at 17 degrees of Taurus at the time that you were born. And so that is like the placement of the writer, the speaker, the teacher, and then you have it in the fifth house, which is in the house of romance, creativity, self-expression, and love, and shit like kids too, but it's the Leo house. So like, that's really interesting to me. Like that just adds in a whole nother layer of, of what you're doing and how you're using your gifts. It's amazing. Very cool. So interesting. Wow. And then, um, you have a North node in Aries. So the North node is really about karma and karmic imbalances and really at the core of it. Like if you only could learn about one part of your chart, the North node would give you the most bang for your buck. There's a lot of wisdom there and people with North node in Aries actually can't have like the universe will not support or allow romantic partnership that has like, icky codependency involved in it because Aries North nodes are really learning self-honoring. They're learning how to connect to themselves first before they connect to other. And they have a tendency to slip into like codependency, overgiving, doormat behavior, um, manipulation, passive aggressiveness, all those kinds of things in relationship. So if there's too much codependency or like chasing or any of that unhealthy stuff in relationship, they won't work and they won't be supported. Wild. I'm speechless. Yeah. So like, there's so much more about that too. I would recommend if you want to know more about that. Um, there's a book called Cosmic Love by Jan Spiller. And it's all about the the North Node stuff in relationships. And you can actually like use her system to look at you and Kobe and what you guys are teaching each other through the North (laughs) Node systems. Okay, interesting. Wait, can you tell me anything else about the North Node? This is fascinating. Yes. So you have it in Aries in the fourth house. So... That's really interesting because the fourth house is ruled by cancer and cancer is, you know, very different from Aries. So although there's a part of you that is really learning independence, self-reliance, how to have that, that connection to self, and you learn that through the high road of Libra. So you always have to connect to the opposite sign first with your North node. So the high road of Libra is like diplomacy and cooperation and communication and really good relationship skills. And then you use those to carve out and develop your own unique identity and self-expression and connect to yourself in a really profound way. And so you have that actually playing out on your career and home axis. So So interesting. And you know, I'm a lawyer. Isn't Libra also? Yes. Yeah. 
That's wild to me. I forgot that you're a lawyer. Yes, Libra <laughs> connected to um, balancing the scales, right? So they make really talented lawyers and judges. And I was just with a mentoring client today and we were going over, this is so funny how the universe aligns. So like the Aries North Node is super fresh in my mind because that's what we, I just talked about it for an entire hour with her. Oh. <laughs> um, and so I was telling her, I was like, these people are amazing lawyers. Like if you are looking for a lawyer, you want to find someone with an Aries North Node because nobody can do that job better than they can. So that is insane. So crazy. Yeah. And then you have it in the the cancer house. So you're also learning how to become more open-hearted and less guarded. That's a huge focus of of, um, like that energy for you, learning how to be open-hearted, connected to your emotions, self-nurturing. So the the two key themes with your North Node is self-honoring and then self-nurturing. Hmm. I'm like frantically taking notes over here. (laughs) (laughs) It is wild how much information is held within the astrology. Like we could talk about your chart for two hours. It's just insane how much. Oh, girl, we're gonna. I'm going to set up a reading. This is amazing. (laughs) Um, This is so cool. Can you tell me like, are you able to see from someone's chart like like how I can like expand, like if I wanted to like step into my next level with like my career or abundance. Mm, Yes. Yeah. So you're talking about Jupiter and it's really interesting that you're interested in Jupiter energy or the archetype of Jupiter, because that's your chart ruler as a Sagittarius rising. That's your most important planet. Focus. Yeah. is expansion, moving into bigger possibilities, abundance, manifestation, all of that stuff. And you actually also have that in Aries conjunct your North node. So, Mm. um, Jupiter conjunct the North Node is also like the the speaker, the teacher, the like public persona. So what you're doing in terms of being out in the public is a really good part of your North Node lesson and learning. But with Jupiter and Aries, it's actually the more you focus on you, the more opportunities come to you. So Jupiter will tell us how we get lucky and what energy we have to move into for like easier flow in life. And so Aries is the sign of the self. It's I am. It's very like courageous and forward moving and all these different things. So every time you're initiating new things, prioritizing yourself, bringing new energy into the world, um, doing something different, really focused on that like fiery aspect of life, that's where life will start to flow to you and things will get easier and easier and easier. It's like, if you this want is, to, to do it. This is amazing. You're absolutely blowing my mind, honestly. And what you're talking about right now, this also sounds very much like my human design. Yes. Okay. What is your... um... I'm a manifester. Oh, of course you are. Yes, of course you are. I probably will take a look at your human design after this because I'm also... Oh my God. Great. Um, But yeah, this is exactly what... It sounds like exactly the same because what I hear about my human design is like you, you were meant to initiate and innovate and use your voice and speak. Um... And uh, not try to do it all, though. And, like, you have to inform people. And, like, your repelling energy is going to repel people. Like, deal with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's a really good, like, important thing for manifestors to know, right? So then you're not managing your likability. Yeah, this is... Oh, my God. You're giving me chills. (laughs) (laughs) Managing my likability. I'm... Oh, my God. I'm writing this down with a star. Because that is... Yeah, I totally try to manage my likability. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You got to let people hop on the train who are meant to hop on the train. And if they're not meant to be on the train, they can like do what they Keep need. it moving. <laughs> this is why I love, so human design and astrology work really well together. I think about astrology as the, the roadmap. So it tells us like where we're going and what the highest expression of self is. And then human design is the GPS. So it's the how and the why and the more practical day-to-day aspect of it. Amazing. Yeah. You're you're seriously blowing my mind. I, I'm really loving this so much. <laughs> I've never learned so much on an interview I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I can't like I just like nerd out so much about people's astrology. And I am so, you know, thankful that you allowed me to look at yours and, and to talk about it. Because yeah. yeah, it's so juicy. And and I really love 
interviewing people and getting to know them better and then seeing how that aligns with their astrology because it's totally so cool. Yeah. So I actually also wanted to talk a little bit about love is blind and your wait, let's talk about love is blind. But first I want can I ask, um, so did my, like, cause I know you'd been following me for a little while. Did my chart make sense? Were you like, Oh, of course. 100%. I like pulled it up and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you share a lot about your own struggles and your own things that you've experienced, which really helps to uh, put that together with the birth chart, right? Like if you didn't share some of your own background and your own history, it might not have been as apparent. Um, yeah. There's some parts that would have been right, like the relationship matchmaking and things like that, which I think is also a really good reminder of how important it is to share our story, right? People learn totally. so much from us, like connecting back to what we've learned and then sharing that. So good. So good. Yeah. Let's talk about love is blind. (laughs) Yeah. So I did the astrology for a few of them. I haven't been able to find like Damien's or Gigi's or Cam's astrology. I'm still Mm. looking for it, but I'm so curious about like what, like what's the first things that come to mind for you with that show? Mm. The first thing that comes to mind. I mean, I think, so, you know, people have been asking me a lot you know, anyone who doesn't follow me, you can go check out my Instagram because I was like breaking down some of them, but I didn't talk about, thank you. Yeah. I didn't talk about Cameron and Lauren and like a couple of people have commented being like, talk about Cameron and Lauren. And I'm like, there's nothing to say, like they're killing it. And I just think they're adorable, but let's talk about them because this is actually like a good example. So I saw somewhere actually Cameron's a cancer, but like, I didn't see anything else in his chart, but I was like, of course he is, you know, to me, it was like such a good, like, I just, I thought they were, they're so cute. God, is there anything to say about them? They're just adorable. They are. One of the things that I found really interesting is, so Venus in the birth chart speaks to how we do um, love and partnership. There's more self-worth and all these other different things, but you know how Lauren kept kind of talking about how, like, I don't know if I want to share my space. Like that was the thing, like the freedom thing. She has Mm -hmm. Venus and Sagittarius. So people with Venus and Sagittarius need to have freedom to be like whoever and whatever they want to be in relationship. And they're super Mm -hmm. freedom oriented and independent, even in long-term partnership. So that was interesting. Yeah. That is really interesting. So. Yeah. I mean, and I think here's what I liked about them is that Lauren was obviously scared. Mm -hmm. Like she had fear and she clearly, first of all, I was just like, you're smart because he's an amazing guy. That would be nuts to let him go. But also it was just like, she was sort of willing to like move through the fear. And I think in relationship, like there's like always going to be some fear. You know, even when you're in a really happy relationship, because like doubt comes in, like doubt comes in. And especially if you've been hurt, it's really hard to get to a place where you're just like, oh, I just imagine I'm never going to get hurt again. Like even when I was falling in love with my husband, there was a part of me that was like holding back and I was very deliberately calling him in. And he was very, very clear and certain from the beginning. but you know, it was almost like his clarity and certainty, like freaked me out more. Cause I'm like, well, should I be that sure? And like, that was sort of what I saw with them where it's like, Cameron was like, make up your mind, girl. Like, I know what I want. And she's just like, but how do you know? <laughs> you know yes. like, Actually, my sister and I talked about this because we would like watch the show and then have a phone conversation and talk about it. And she was like, Cam, man, all you got to say is that you like, you're scared too. Like she was just so like, um, you know, if he had shared a little bit more of his vulnerability, but I don't think he was vulnerable at all. Like, I think that he just was so sure about it, which definitely freaked her out. I don't think he was scared, you know? And it's like, that's how my husband was. And it was annoying. I was like, tell me you're nervous. Tell me you're concerned about something. And he's like, but I'm not, I love you. So I'm just like, what, what's happening? You know? But I also think that a lot of women get involved with guys that are scared and that are like, so terrified. Like you say, you're like, and they like take off running, you know? <laughs> so then we meet someone who was like, yeah, I'm ready for commitment. Please marry me. And you're like, what's happening? <laughs> like, yeah. My whole world is coming apart. I don't understand it's this. Unfamiliar. Yeah. yeah. It's super unfamiliar. And I mean, a lot of that unfamiliar is really the term. Like that's what a lot of this is about. So, you know, good on Lauren for sort of moving past the fear. 
you know, when I was reading some something, someone called Cameron a, uh, it was a hilarious word, a mildequist. I don't know, something for a boring, like they're basically saying he was boring. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, 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 no. You know, and see, and that's another thing is that like, it's very easy to get focused on the guys that are like super fun and exciting and like keep you guessing. And I was just like, he's not boring. He's laid back. He's a little bit more reserved, but his energy, I was just like, oh, I love his vibe. And like, you can want whatever kind of personality, like some people are very quiet themselves. And so they might be better off with someone who's very dynamic. Lauren's all bubbly and like has opinions and she's got her causes that she cares about. And like, she has all this passion. Like she doesn't need someone exactly like her. She needs someone who like loves her for who she is. And it's going to like, let her be, which I very much feel like he was. And like, I don't know. He was just so, he's like, look at this beautiful house I have. Like, I'm ready for you to live with me. And I was just like, oh, love him. Yeah. But like, I just, I love them. I love their vibe. He reminds me, my husband is very, very outgoing and like very friendly. So he's not like him in that way. But in terms of like his certainty and like who he is and like his certainty that he had, oh my God, I'm like so emotional on this interview. But like the certainty he had our, about our relationship was very much like Cameron's. You know, and I think for any woman who is listening, who gets involved with a guy like this, and maybe you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, or you just can't believe that it can be that good. You know, instead of being like, how can I make him feel less certain? Or I'm wrong for not being as certain as he is. It's like, just borrow some of his certainty, like borrow some of his calm so that you can just calm your nervous system and like make a decision, you know, because it's like, even on my wedding day, I didn't feel unsure, like, oh, am I making the wrong decision? But like, I felt nervous. I felt a little scared. And now I'm just like, oh my God, what if I had been one of those women that was so into self-sabotaging that I had been like, no, I can't do this. You know, I'm just like, I would, I would hate myself. Like, that'd be so sad. So yeah, they're adorable. I wish them well. I really hope that they're like happy and in love. I wish they showed us more of Cam, you know, I I think we got to know Lauren quite well, but I wish we had got to know Cam a little bit more, but yeah, they, they were my favorites. I actually really, I know that a lot of people don't like Barnett and Amber, but the one thing that kind of turned me towards liking her a little bit more than Elsie and, and, um, Jessica was when she was talking about her response to Barnett telling her that he was like talking to other women and she was like I just want you to be happy I was like that is that's very loving and I think shows why he chose her although that whole thing was so interesting and I cannot believe they actually got married I'm impressed that they actually got married so they were interesting I was not for them initially because of the way that Barnett was acting in the pods I didn't think he was serious Amber, I just felt like was doing too much. And I was just like, girl, you're just doing too much. I feel like they both had more of a persona. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Barnett's persona came down once they left the pods. Like once he was around his family and like took her to the like to his house and he was just like, oh, I'm really nervous. You know, and then he met her family and he's like, oh, I didn't even think about like where she was from. And like, I feel silly for being nervous. And I was just like, wow, he has like this whole different side I don't think her persona fully dropped until the morning of the weddings and when she was crying and it was just like oh she's like being real like and she had said early on in the show like when they were still in the pods like oh we've talked about like deep stuff like we've had those real conversations and I think one of the guys asked Barnett who have you talked about the most real stuff with and I think he said Amber and I was like oh that's interesting did he say Amber I could be wrong I thought he said Amber and I was just like, oh, they're not showing us that. They're just showing her like being loud and him being like avoidant. <laughs> so I was just like, they're, but, um, they, you know, to me, what, what, what I thought about him was that like, he seems like he was probably like, I can imagine every woman he's been out with being like, oh, he's such a frat boy. Yeah. He's not serious. And I think he wasn't like, I don't feel like he went into it serious. And especially the fact that he did lead on, LC especially, but you know, he was leading on three women. He was saying the same thing to all of them, but it's like something switched and he was like, oh, I'm actually going to take this seriously now. Yeah. And like, I don't know what it was or why, but it was really interesting to like, see that like, to me, he struck me as someone who like does take marriage seriously. And so he wasn't like, I'm going to get married for a TV show. Yeah. 
So like, I'm guessing because of like his family, his values, he can like mess around with girls. But when it comes to like getting engaged and married, he's like, oh, I got to figure out if this is for real or not. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. More devotional. Right. So his Virgo is in Venus, which is a very discerning Venus. But so Venus is how we do relationship and it's connected to self-worth and partnership. But Mars is how we do sex and passion. And he has that in Scorpio. And it's just like, oh, density of it. So that's the switch. He went from using his Mars to his Venus. Wow. Yeah. That's super interesting. That makes perfect sense. His chart's actually really tender. Like he's a really sweet, sensitive, intuitive dude. He just hides behind this like Scorpio frat boy kind of like thing. Yeah. You could see like when he was with his family, he was so much more like pulled into himself. Mm -hmm. I saw an interview that they did like in the past few days, I guess, like since the show, since the finale came on and their dynamic just seems so different. Amber had dyed her hair. She's blonde. And I was just like, she just seemed very different. Like they seemed more like a, a couple, like they seemed more like, like a unit, I guess. Yeah. And she was like talking about, you know, the way Jessica had acted towards him. And she's like, I had no idea that's what was going on. Like what she was saying to him at the different parties and stuff. But like, she wasn't doing the, like, I'm going to kill her. Like the loud in your face, like over the top thing. Like she was like, I was, I was really hurt. Like I did not know that's what was going on. It was just like a very different side. So my only real qualm, like I thought her personality was a bit obnoxious. Um, but the only actual qualm I had was when she was talking about all this debt that she had. And like, to me, debt, debt is, doesn't have to be a big deal. Like Amanda Francis always says like debt is a decision to like pay something off over time. And I was just like, I love that. So I don't think debt has to be a big deal. I thought it was really weird when she was like, oh, I have this debt and I'm not planning on working. So to me, I was like, girl, what? (laughs) You can't just be like, here's my debt, pay it off for me. But again, in this interview that I saw, she was saying how like, that was a weird edit. And like, I am working and like, we're in a partnership. Like, of course, I'm not just throwing my debt on him. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, fair enough. That was like the only thing. Like, they do seem suited to each other in a lot of ways. It was more, it wasn't like that they weren't suited for each other. It was more they came across as extremely immature in the pods. Like, without the gravity that one wants to bring into like a marriage, like a lifelong commitment. Like, marriage isn't heavy or it doesn't have to be like my marriage definitely isn't heavy, but like you do want someone who's taking commitment seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I actually really liked them as we got to know them a bit more. Cause I found that out of all of the couples, they seem to be the most comfortable with each other. You know, they were like goofy and like, you know, there was an, an element of, of just playfulness that some of the other couples didn't develop till later on, but the yeah. whole show, it was just such a wild social experiment. And I can't wait till they do season two. So I can watch all of your live stream updates on your thoughts on that, because I was like, so obsessed. There was, I think it was the first. Did you only do one live like video on it or did you do? I did one live where I did like a live stream and I just talked about it. And then I did like my Insta stories where I did like a whole recap of the episode. (laughs) I was like doing that as I was watching. So that was like my very in the moment reactions. (laughs) If you could hear like just the shock and surprise. It was great. But uh, even the um, the one that you did live on Facebook, I wasn't sure if you were going to keep it posted. And I was like driving. I had like a six hour drive. And I was like, got to plug in. Like, I was, like waiting for it. I was so excited. I just wanted so to know all your thoughts on it. It's so good. That's so funny. Yeah. So I thought that like Damien made a really good decision on the day of to yeah. say because like she was in like she had a lot of red flags. Yeah. I don't think he was perfect either, but I thought it, the most interesting to me was seeing her mom at yeah. the wedding. Mm-hmm. When she was comforting her. Yeah. When she was comforting her mother and I was like, what is wrong with this woman? Like your daughter just got like humiliated at the altar and she was comforting her and I was just like this you can see where Gigi gets her flair for like dramatics and this idea that like everything is a production because when her mom was like you almost fainted and I almost died and I was like bitch you almost died? What are you talking about? I was so mad for Gigi in that moment and especially like little girl Gigi and I was just like oh my god this woman yeah. That was really heartbreaking to me. 
because she's not the only one. You know, plenty of people have moms that are, you know, a mess. But that was, I mean, that was a real mess. And I was just like, that's really sad that like in this moment, she is comforting her sobbing mother. I was just like, yeah, it explained a lot, a lot, a lot about what we saw from her and like her theatrics. And it's like, she didn't pull that out of thin air. Yeah. Well, and even I think some of the wishy-washiness and some of the fear of commitment, right? Like if that's your experience of love, you now no longer get to have your own emotional experience. You are now caretaking for somebody else's emotional experience, even when that emotion has to do with you, right? How scary is love? It's just terrifying. You don't get to have your own bubble. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying, but also like it has to be terrifying. Like, and that's the thing with like a love blueprint like that. It's not just that love is terrifying. It's that if it's not, something is wrong. Like I'm going to shake things up if they're quiet because otherwise it's not love. Like you're just going to sit there minding your own business. No, you're not. If you love me, you're going to deal as I start this fight over nothing and scream at you and then tell you how you're horrible in bed. Like that's, that's the only way we can have love. And it was just like, this woman, she just wants to make up. Like she wants to be able to make up because it's like, oh, if he's still here after I act insane, like we're still in love. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, she's, I think she's pretty young, right? I think she was. So if she becomes aware, then like she can definitely work through it, work through it. And I think that she and Damien might still be together. I think they are too. I, I, I saw a couple, like I went down like the Reddit rabbit hole. and a few <laughs> Oh, wow. You like went hard. <laughs> I went in. I was like, I got to know. So curious. Um, I think they are still together too. Yeah. But just so interesting. It'll be interesting to watch the reunion. and It will be interesting. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. Well, I know you have to get moving here, but thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. I actually forgot we were recording for a while and just thought we were having it like a good conversation. So that's I know. the best. Yeah. I feel the same way. So, so good. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time to come on with me and I hope you have a really good rest of your day. Is it Tuesday there? Thank you so much. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Yeah. I hope you have a good Tuesday. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes and be sure to tune in next time to the Rise and Love podcast.